0: So
1: to therealworld.com. I am your host, Benjamin Phillips, and I'm joined, as always, by Matthew Waters.
0: Hi, I'm Matthew Waters. Thank you, Benjamin, for introducing me so formally.
1: I, I don't know why, it's just my instinct is to go formal.
0: Okay, that's fair. I mean, this is a very this is a serious podcast we're doing about some very serious subject matter. Which so. we are unqualified to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Strap in, everyone. Yeah, because this is our
1: podcast mini series, episode two of Nothing Ever Ends, our podcast covering HBO's Watchmen series created by Damon Lindelof, obviously, a sequel to the seminal DC Comics Watchmen from 1986 which we covered extensively in last week's episode. Yeah,
0: this might be your first episode because episode 1 is is a very deep dive into a lot of comic books and it's it's like an hour and a half or however long it is after Ben has edited it. So, yeah, uh, I mean, you please, might be jumping please, on here with the show.
1: Please don't turn it off after 5 minutes if you realize we're talking about books. Um, <laughs> but I also wouldn't blame you if you had. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, we're bringing the TV show now, so uh if you are joining for the first time, hello, welcome aboard. You may notice Ben is hosting instead of me. That is indeed the change that
1: we're doing. We're, we're changing up a lot, although the format of this series is going to be incredibly similar to our podcast covering The Leftovers, Countdown to Destruction. If you listen to that podcast, then you would know that we cover two episodes of the series. Each episode, kind of do a deep dive into them, very similar to the format of everything else we do. We do a big plot rundown and everything like that. But Matt will also be going into these completely blind
0: Yes, I have seen the first two episodes and nothing more. And I have read PTpedia Files 1 and 2.
1: Yeah, which which are released kind of the same day as the episode and serve a very similar function to the end-of-chapter stuff in the Watchmen comic book. Although... Yeah. A little bit breaking of the format in that it's not just one file per episode, there's like four in the first episode.
0: Yeah, I tried not to look ahead because I thought even the titles of them would potentially be spoilery, but it was like, okay, so there's four for episode one, there's three for episode two. Did they just upload, like, here is the file and then here's everything in it all on the same day as the episode, or was it like adding one every day or what? It was like after the episode aired, they'd upload like all the files and you just okay. get a bit more context.
1: Obviously, a lot of the context for this first episode is kind of filling in the gaps of what happened in between the comic book and the TV show because it's been the real length amount of time between when the comic book ended, which published in 1987, and 2019 when the show aired. And there's obviously a lot of fictional universe context to kind of fill in about what's different between the two universes.
0: Yeah, it was fun. Like Some of the stuff in there, like some of it is kind of... I don't know if it's intentionally droll, but some of it, it was like, oh, they haven't been using technology for the best part of 30 years, and they've slowly started rolling it out. Oh, now I think about it, Angela uses a beeper and her phone on the wall, doesn't she, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, there's yeah, no, there's no
1: mobile phones in this universe, there's no internet, there's all these fun little things that make the world feel more thought out. And you can tell from like, interviews with Damon Lindelof that they literally sat in the writers' room, and part of what they did, very similar to what they did in The Leftovers, was we're going to sit down and have conversations about how would this world function like what would could we extrapolate from the original source material to kind of figure out how the world would progress from here and the technology one's obviously based on the fact that doctor manhattan produced so many technological breakthroughs in the in the comic world and after the the alien event that ends the book people just kind of go like technology is destroying the world we yeah. need to stop
0: this classic response hit it with a hammer and everything is fixed <laughs> and the first thing you do when you're thinking about what is this world like is you say right elvis definitely rocked up to a bar in the 90s
1: <laughs> i mean that's the thing some of them are like quite fun it's like one that's kind of quite subtle in the first episode is the fact that nixon is now on mount rushmore um, oh shit which... sure. i didn't pick that <laughs> which up. is which is exactly the kind of thing you feel nixon would do if he'd been in office for god how many
0: terms they say that he's been in office for well some of this material like the piece about ozymandias it says how he helped the democrats win in 1992 and it was like the first time they had been a democrat in like 20 years or something like that and then there's another piece about how the current president has done seven terms so mm-hmm. 28 years in power i don't believe they name the president although there is talk of Redfordations. I Am I to believe that Robert Redford is the President of the United States, or are they just using the name Redford? No, no, it's it legit Robert Redford
1: is the President of the United States of America. Amazing. Uh, like, his pictures on the wall, if you look in the background of the classroom scene, okay. uh, in the first episode, you can see, it literally goes, Richard Nixon, Robert Redford, and mm. the amount of time that they were President of the United States. And I think in the second episode, when they go to the newspaper stand, they say Robert Redford's name mm. in full
0: as a fun, like, twist on Reagan, I think, like a liberal Ronald Reagan almost, and I'll, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll be honest, like, when I was watching it in real time, my brain just I don't know, I assume I, know, I knew they were saying Redford, but my brain was just fully like, yeah, Reagan, I guess Reagan became president after Nixon, and then I was like, and I sat down to actually look at all of this, and I was like Wait, they said Redford, not Reagan. What the fuck am I talking about? But Yeah, yeah they, they, they like like name that. him the cowboy president as well, <laughs> which again makes you think it's Reagan. Yeah. But yeah, it's a fun, like, to, you know, because, I mean, Reagan being... So many films and TV shows have had fun with that. Like, oh, the actor? He'll never become president. And that's been such a, like, cultural touchstone that we have this actor in the White House and then to flip it around and do it as, like, a liberal actor instead...
1: Yeah, and obviously in the comic book, it's Nixon has broken the term limit. And so yeah. that's how you get this Robert Redford kind of able to be president for as long as he is. 28 and, years. <laughs> I mean, that's that's part of the fun is it's like and you can feel this real resentment that they've had this liberal president mm. so long in this world. And so much of the kind of context behind this and red state people being very angry about how liberal <laughs> and kind of <laughs> the way that these laws are interpreted and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's, that's all related to the fact that this show, even though it's set in 2019, a good length of time after the original comic book is set, it starts in 1921. Hmm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, during something called the Black Wall Street Massacre, which is a a real moment in history that happened in our universe as well, in which (sighs) I I believe it is a black man is accused of of murdering a white person in Tulsa, and basically a lot of Ku Klux Klan people uh, took this as an excuse to basically lynch an entire section of the city and burn it down. While the
0: cops did nothing and... Yes. You you sent me an article with Tanahassi Coates that I began reading, but I it was very late at night and I uh, I was I was looking at how long it was and I was like, I, I love Tanahassi Coats, but I can't do this right now. Uh, I will read it at some point, but Yeah, you you told me that uh, Damon Lindelof read that and that is what inspired this as... I mean, it appears so far to be this is going to be, like, an enormous backdrop to everything happening. And, like, I had my questions, like, I assume this will never open up wider than this town, uh, than Tulsa, and, like, it's going to be a, like, jardin in the leftovers situation where maybe there'll be hints here and there of what the wider United States and the world look like. But generally, we are focusing in on this set of characters in this town etc etc
1: yeah they make an explicit decision to set this far away from new york yes um, which is obviously where the entirety of the original watson takes place i will say there are moments and scenes that do have the backdrop of new york very similar to how there are scenes and moments that have the backdrop of like washington dc and and other locations in the original comic book but it very much is like this is a story set and based in tulsa oklahoma Mm -hmm. and the generational trauma that's kind of been inflicted upon this town by this awful event that happened back in 1921 and obviously
0: through the lens of alan moore dave gibbon's watchman comic book Yes, and, you know, we are shown a single survivor. Well, maybe not the single survivor. But there, there, are, there
1: are two survivors because there is, so we open the episode with a silent movie based around Bass Reeves playing in the little silent theatre in Tulsa in 1921 with a small black child watching this silent movie kind of unfold on the screen when a bomb drops onto the cinema and his mother and father kind of rush him out of there and try and get him out of Tulsa in the middle of this race, right? And we get this, like, long extended scene looking at just the carnage that's going on and it's all very visceral and very graphic mm-hmm. and this entire sequence ends with this small child picking up a baby belonging to another couple who helped smuggle him out of the town holding the note that his father hastily scribbled watch over this boy and watching the, the city be on fire back in the distance it, it's so different to anything in the comic book Mm. and it's just a really visceral and graphic way to kind of open the show as well
0: yeah and it feels very true to the comic in that as i said a large part of what was appealing about the comic to me was a kind of alternate history thing taking some real world events remixing them slightly and to take this very real thing that happened and you know make it a key backdrop for characters in your show and also like you know for the world building aspect because You know, such a huge plot point here, and, like, the reason, or the way I've read it is the Seventh Cavalry exist here because of the reparations that they end up getting, uh, the descendants of the the massacre and everything. And, yeah, it's powerful stuff, like, uncomfortable viewing, obviously, and I get the sense that I will feel somewhat uncomfortable throughout this, but in an important way.
1: Yeah, I sent you an article that was linking to an interview Lindelof set before the show started, and it's basically a lot of him kind of wringing his hands going, like... I, for so long, didn't feel like I was the person who should be making this show, which is a kind of classic liberal guilt. But <laughs> he obviously felt like he made a concerted effort to pack the writer's room and the director's set with people of colour and people with different views, people who knew the comic, people who didn't know the comic, people who've got more knowledge on kind of race relations in the US, and make sure the writer's room was diverse and able to kind of like pull through this. This stuff. Uh, I don't know whether or not anyone back went back, because obviously this first episode was written solely by Lindelof on his own, as most poets are, directed by Nicole Castle from Leftovers, who directed quite a few of the very good episodes there. And obviously, like normally a writer's room wouldn't get involved, but I think there are some reshoots and stuff like that in this first episode. Mostly related to like people who weren't available to do the main series, probably to punch up some stuff, but like for the most part, this is Damon Lindelof on his own without a writer's room around him kind of passing through things i imagine
0: mm. I, I get him you know we we <laughs> devote an awful amount of time at this website to gender and race and sexuality and for the most part it's white dudes um we're you know a friend of mine arlena contributed to one article uh you obviously are you're as close as we get to representation of of sexuality there and like yeah i mean i we sit here talking about female agency and we talk about how shitty and racist certain things are and i'm very painfully aware that you know we are like white dudes here and we we i would love it if this site like, had some more voices but i still think we should talk about these things uh so yeah i understand how it feels like this very clearly like Even if I didn't know that this caused some controversy, watching this, it's like, very clear, you're gonna get some hate for this, because you are telling a very pointed story about the Klan, and racism, and cops, and police violence, and, and... all this sort of stuff, I do very much enjoy the people criticising them for making Watchmen political, and <laughs> just, I love when people tell on themselves, you know? It's one of my favourite consistent things, when people just make it clear they miss the point of the thing they claim to love.
1: Yeah, but uh, speaking of cops, we cut from this kind of, like, barren road in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921 to... 2019 tulsa oklahoma with a routine traffic stop except if you've seen any piece of media in kind of the last five years involving black people being pulled over by police officers this is a very big inversion of that in that it's a white ragneck being pulled over by a black police officer who is hiding his face and asking like kind of quite aggressive and accusatory questions
0: yeah i did wonder if this was supposed to play out as a sort of inverted stop and frisk yeah and notably yeah the yellow mask from the trailers you know this was a big prominent part is policemen wearing yellow masks and everything like that it's it's so intensely gripping immediately like you know the the backdrop opening thing is what it is and then going into like the present of the show like in some ways that's an epilogue and this is your first scene and yeah right from the jump this is so tense and I love the sort of centrally locked gun. Like, he has to call in and get his gun buzzed out. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, it'd be great if there was some form of gun control for the police. And then, like, I don't think their argument is this is why cops should be allowed to have guns, because obviously he gets fucking mowed down waiting for them to release it. But, yeah, sitting there in a gun-controlled country, I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool if the cops couldn't just kill people immediately, <laughs> wouldn't they?
1: But yeah, I mean obviously they've gone for like the kind of most charged imagery that they could. Oh, this is very well known. The, it's a very conscious decision to cast a black actor as the police officer, and and obviously there's there's like layers to this in that he turns out to be correct, even if this guy maybe wasn't going to do anything. Mm. Like he still and he like he still recognised the Rorschach mask that sat inside this guy's glove compartment. Yeah. He is just carting cabbages, but he does also have a fully assault rifle in his car that yeah, he uses to.
0: One assumes there is large scale gun control, and it's not just the police that aren't supposed to readily wave guns about one assumes that guns in general are supposed to be contraband in this uh in this universe so that's how it yeah. comes across yeah 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 there's
1: there's obviously mass communication like there's this character panda who who doesn't really get flashed out across the series but is a series regular played by jickam trent who is the legal busybody i would assume would be like the way to describe him in that like he yeah. asks all these long probing questions of like do you feel that there's drugs or alcohol on this person do you feel that there's a a threat of violence and all these different questions and it's very by the book and
0: i love when you finally because you know you hear about you know he keeps speaking to panda over the over the radio and then when you see panda he's literally wearing a giant panda head (laughs) good stuff yeah and like using like the way it plays out where he's like can I see your face? And he's like, what'd you say to me? And it like, it plays out like, you know, these racist white cops that, you know, are like, Hey, what'd you say, boy? You know, that, you know, this, this charged language, like it does all feel very consciously inverted in that way. And like, yeah, him, him spraying him dead. Well, seemingly spraying him dead and then throwing the, the lettuce through the window. It's like a, Yeah, it's powerful shit. It's really good, and
1: obviously there was actually quite a lot of pushback I saw to the scene in particular, particularly from leftist quarters, who were kind Mm -hmm. of very angry that the show was kind of taking this, obviously very real, very visceral imagery to a lot of people of colour in America at this point in time, and kind of doing this to it. Not to spoil anything, but I do think the show kind of is a lot more even-handed than you might think it might be. Like, this is not a pro-cop show that i think was one of the main accusations that was come through in it like like by casting the black person as a cop by having the lead actress of the show play a cop mm-hmm. you begin to feel like is this pro cop is this condoning yeah, and like, the real life violence
0: the cops were victims of a of a hugely tragic event and like they are the heroes and and yeah like i i i didn't come away with any of that i didn't go like oh man cops are great because i'm a sane person but yeah, I mean, I can see how this would kick up a st- It feels like the kind of thing people would hear about and get outraged about and haven't actually seen it. Or, I don't know, maybe some people had. But it, it just reminds me of when, like, the latest hubbub with video games, where you get, like, these 40, 50, 60-year-old people talking about video games, that, and they haven't seen what they're actually talking about, but they're real fucking opinionated about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's I think if you just watch the damn show, it's all good.
1: <laughs> and then from there, we cut from this kind of standoff in the dark to a staging of Black Oklahoma.
0: (laughs) You're not allowed to call it that.
1: (laughs) I'm not allowed to call it that, no. (laughs) Oklahoma, obviously Oklahoma, one of those early Americana kind of musicals, which very pointedly is very white. And so having an all-black version of it is one of those kind of little things that the show is doing to kind of push forward these little things, like, overly liberal kind of attempts to to level the playing field in terms of race in some ways, you do might you, argue.
0: Do you think this is in some way a nod to Hamilton? I mean, I, I am sure there are all-black renditions of these traditionally incredibly like, mayonnaise plays and, and works of fiction, uh, in like, local productions, but... I wonder if it is supposed to be sort of a wink and a nod to Hamilton. I I think it is partly that. I think it's
1: also like, there's a lot of stuff from Oklahoma that you can kind of like pass through and be really interested in. Like the main villain in Oklahoma is called Judd, which is the same name as the character John Johnson plays, who's introduced in this scene. Big John Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Although he obviously reveals that he played Curly, who is the nominal hero of Oklahoma. Who else played Curly? Patrick Wilson played Curly uh, in the early 2000s. But, yeah, there's, like, stuff in Oklahoma, which is, like, really weird. Like, the the final denouement of it is the villain invades the wedding of Curly, and then Curly just kills him at his wedding. And then, like, the final part of the play is a mock trial, essentially, which is quite often played for humour, in which he gets off scot-free. And, obviously, there's a lot of things you can do with this, where, like, man kills someone at his wedding and then goes three. There's a lot of stuff you can kind of do with that in a more modern context that a lot of people are doing when they're restaging Oklahoma. So... Yeah, and obviously, like we get multiple songs from Oklahoma played throughout the episode, or sung by people in the show. Yes, it's it like they've obviously they're leaning in very heavily to the fact that they've set this in a state that isn't typically in this kind of like high prestigey drama.
0: Yeah, there there is very much this uh, perception that liberal media like ignores large chunks of the United States, ignores uh, the red state, you know that kind of stuff, unless it's like. Stuff is set in Texas. Stuff is set in like I don't know, maybe a Mississippi or an Alabama. But yeah, like this kind of thing, as you say, is not generally set in an Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. So at the staging of Oklahoma, Chud Crawford, played
1: by Don Johnson, gets the call that like one of his police officers has been attacked, and goes off to the hospital where the man is being kept. Where he meets another one of our series regulars, played by the always fantastic Tim Blake Nelson, uh, oh, playing. So good playing wade tillman or looking glass who is kind of our first real look at uh detectives or like people who aren't just beat cops in this yeah world. that
0: that was my reading when you later see them assemble i don't want to cannibalize later content of this episode but like when you see all the cops assembled together and like the beat cops the you know the uniformed officers are all wearing the same yellow mask and then there is a smaller group who all have their own sort of costumes or masks or identities and it's like are these supposed to be the detectives or the senior officers I read it as their detectives especially um is he called Looking Glass I thought he was called like Mirror Mask that was no, no, just me being literal Looking Glass, but... and
1: obviously like they got disparaging names for him because he's like yeah. Tim Blake Nelson you cast him to play someone who's very intense and yes, <laughs> yes he <laughs> is he is that and obviously he's kind of one of the more interesting ones in that he's obviously got a very useful skill in that he's very good at reading people. Like the whole point is like he's a looking glass, he reflects you back at yourself. But then this first scene is like they're sat there in this in this hospital room and and Judd is kind of interviewing him and kind of asking, like, have we done background checks on all the people in this hospital that who've seen his face? Do we know where this guy was? Should we wake the other detectives who might want to get involved in this? Mm. And then he and makes just, him
0: put his mask down so we can do his fucking tie. Uh, it,
1: it's a great. I think the behind the scenes is like he's actually just wearing a a green. I um, assumed that was a green,
0: green screen mirrors. thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, that they then just kind of put the special effect of the mirror on it would top. Be,
0: it would be a nightmare logistically to make a completely reflective mask and then try and point cameras and lights at it. But yeah, it's it's a very cool effect. Like one of the big takeaways when I first saw the trailers is like cops in yellow masks and then this dude is stretching a mirror over his face and it, it's so it's 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 creepy almost. Like the way, when he pulls it over because it's so tight, but it's not I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very effective, very
1: powerful. Yeah, it's really really good. Um this is also the first time that I wrote down Reznor and Ross fuck uh, from school. <laughs>
0: uh. it's, it's a very good score so far every time there's a montage i am like fully on board i think my one biggest
1: shame for this is like there's that they did three albums like every three episodes they put out a an ep's worth or an album's worth of music from the show but they'd also include dialogue in it and it's just like i just want the cut down kind of like non-dialogue version Mm. of all this stuff but the song title is also great there's later on this episode you get uh with a motherfucking gun which is a, (laughs) a fantastic song title um yeah we then cut to news footage of Dr. Manhattan on Mars yes. uh, building and destroying a mysterious structure. But obviously like this is our first very explicit reference to the comic and the characters of the comic. Uh, yeah, I feel
0: like every now and then they're like, oh, this is still Watchmen, don't worry.
1: It's fun, in the, both these first two episodes there's kind of a weird obsession with Doctor Manhattan, and obviously, like, why wouldn't there be this is a literal god who exists in this universe Yeah,
0: who and, hasn't and,
1: been seen in, in 30 years.
0: Yeah, and ostensibly the only one. Like, you know, I know within the book there is talk of a psychic, and they use that to create a giant psychic squid suicide bomb thing, and... Obviously, again, to jump ahead, someone here is claiming to have powers. But for the most part, while there are plenty of like masked, costumed adventurers, he is a fucking like full on, like beyond Superman levels of overpowered, just insanity. And yeah, he is like literally a god. Like, uh, you also get here like the subtle world building of we learn that Vietnam is a state because as we saw in the book dr manhattan helped them win the vietnam war and vietnamese people they asked to personally surrender to dr manhattan and it's like she is an expert in asian food like we see them later they're sitting down there eating asian food and and like she's wearing that asian garb and all that and it's one of these things it's like firefly and and all these other things where like in the future where there's been this sort of blending of cultures and i yeah i think it's a really clever thing to have vietnam be the 51st state who knows how many other states are out there that um, on what yeah this
1: is this is the 51st date and obviously yes. like this this scene in the school is where we meet Regina King as Angela <laughs> Abar or Sister Knight Oscar winner. Regina King. I uh, you, returning, Regina. <laughs> yeah, returning from The Leftovers, obviously very much like, not fobbed off, but like very too busy to come to Leftovers season three. So you feel like Lindelof is guilty that that didn't get to happen. So yeah. he builds the show around her and she's so good.
0: She's so good. She's so good. And her husband is so <laughs> fine. Um...
1: <laughs> yes, yes, he yes. is. Obviously the scene in the school is kind of more about world building. You get a lot of stuff in the background to do with who the presidents are that we've already mentioned you get references to squids, you get references to Vietnam in the 51st State, you get the first explanation of what, what the White Knight is, which was a massacre of all the cops in Tulsa uh, yeah. that led to uh, Angela's apparent retiring from the force, um, and also uh, which led to the death of the parents of her three adopted children, who one of whom is in this room, uh, which is Topher, uh, yes. played by uh, Dylan Shombing.
0: Uh, you also get the uh, she makes the little smiley face with the yokes, you know, the Watchmen imagery, that kind of stuff, and the, she is not good at talking to children because she's like talking about how like her like guts were hanging out and everything
1: <laughs> And the teacher just staring at her because of this uh, <laughs> just like shut up, stop this now yeah. um, and then we get that fun little the kid who's obviously raised by someone who's not that liberal, like, going, like, oh, how'd it feel to build this shop with your red Or well, he said, did and- you
0: pay for it with red yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I love the line, he's not racist, but he's on the right track. Like, this idea <laughs> that kids don't actually truly understand what racism is, so they are, they can parrot racist behaviours, like this kid is, but it takes being a little bit older to truly understand that, and, like, you know, I am sure this shit happens, and people of colour, like, have to put up with, like, some racist shit from children but i can understand how i mean i can understand why you you know you'd be fucking furious at them but then like i can also see her point of view of like look like, obviously that's not a nice thing to hear but i can't be too mad at him he's just a kid kind of thing
1: yeah he's um, parroting what his dad presumably is running around going like oh look yeah. and there's there's a fun undercurrent in that it feels like there has been a quite seismic shift in economic strata in this city a lot of black business owners Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: even down to like in, in episode 2 Jim Beaver who plays the grandfather of the these mm-hmm. children um, kind of shows up and it's just like it's my day with them like you've adopted them yes because you were friends with the family but yeah. they're still my blood
0: and I want to go see them but he takes a payout because they can like, afford it and he can't can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, it's great stuff yeah that 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 red fedations line like that says so much because obviously the PTPD stuff it like spells it out that yeah there was you get it spelled out for you in no uncertain terms what is actually happening but lines like that and just sort of the way this is put together is so sophisticated in sort of background world building kind of thing like it just takes that one line and you can put together what's actually happened here um, mm. yeah it's great stuff
1: uh, uh, which causes uh, her son Topher to co-attack this kid that says red vedations And then we cut to them driving away and having this conversation. <laughs> and about... then a
0: very normal thing happens. <laughs> and then a very normal
1: thing happens where an alarm goes off. Damon yeah, and...
0: Lindelof declares himself team squid in quite a manner.
1: Yes. there's All of a sudden squids start falling from the sky. Topher questions whether or not it's a real one. And then they just descend. Uh... I
0: love how casual Angela is about it as well. I was like, Has this happened before? Like, what's going on here?
1: I think there's, like, little hints and references that it's like, this is just a thing that happens semi-regularly at random intervals, and it's just a piece of day-to-day life, and you just keep this thing inside your car or wherever you are to, like, wipe it off when it's done because they just dissolve into water.
0: (laughs) Just like the one did in New York. Yes,
1: Yes. yeah, yeah, the one in Wikipedia where they say, like, it dissolved into water before they could do a scientific analysis of it.
0: Very, very clever stuff. Obviously, it reminds me of The Leftovers, but, like, this reminds me so much of The Leftovers. These very bizarre things that would happen out of nowhere with minimal explanation. And I liked The Leftovers, uh, less than you, but I did like it. But, like, this is a lot more my speed, and I think... Well, I don't know. Obviously, The Leftovers had an incredibly, like, sci-fi-ish premise in the big terms, but... But it never leans into it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this being so overtly a kind of genre shot stuff like this doesn't bother me in the same way that occasionally i'd be like fucking what is happening right now um and you were all aboard for it and like i you know i enjoyed it but I just yeah i I could sometimes i just couldn't reconcile what was happening and
1: whereas a world in which like even though the leftovers premise is something based so firmly in the realm of the impossible
0: Mm. because
1: this is so much more out there and has so much more of a heightened reality it's not like the leftovers where everyone is just living a normal life with normal technology that you recognize there is a heightenedness like the fact that everyone's driving around in electric cars and (sighs) all this old world stuff that isn't in our universe makes it easier to kind of filter through
0: we also see a lot of like the cameras like moving through the town a bit and you see like the bus ad for american hero story and a newspaper article that Vite has been declared dead. All of that stuff is really cool. And like, yeah, th- this is two episodes deep. This is packed with Easter eggs. Um, oh yeah, so so much of this stuff. And um,
1: but next we we cut to Angela and Topher arriving home, and she gets the buzz that like another cop was murdered. Mm. So she immediately goes full vigilante, runs to <sighs> where her bakery, and puts on her sister night uniform, which is so good. So and, good. Um, I forgot to write down their name, but they they specifically have like a cinematographer who's known for taking uh, kind of like photography of of black people, and you can tell because like how many things that you watch where they put makeup or lighting on black people and they just don't look that good. Yeah. And yet in this scene, she's in darkness. She's wearing black. She's putting black face paint on, and she still looks so clear and vibrant, and everything
0: looks so good. Yeah, that is very much a thing that I I read and I hear of like when photo shoots and stuff you can tell when it was a black photographer for when shooting people of color because like they just get it in a way that like in an innocent way that white people don't even think about and yeah shit her costume is so fucking good that as i said the the music behind this montage is fucking dope uh, i love her car that is like you know it it's visually like this, like, old, old car, but it fucking zips when it goes. And, yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, we do also get our
1: first glimpses of Lewis Gossett Jr. as Will Reeves. Like, hanging around outside, he he does the very cryptic question of, like, do you think I could list £200? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Might be very important later on. Yes,
0: yeah, the local crazy man.
1: In a wheelchair as well. But, yeah, so Sister Knight goes off to uh, affectionately call us Nixonville, which is where all the kind of, like, the redneck mm-hmm. people who have ostracised from society live just bust into someone's house and, like, beats someone up and puts someone in the boot. The car mm-hmm. and then goes to the police station. Uh, like it's it's these moments where I'm like, kind of, I, I can see why you think the show's pro cop, but mm. there's
0: so much kind of like it's the same as th- Yeah, it's the same as Watchmen, where like it's not pro vigilante, it's not pro superhero, it's critiquing what they do, but it will on the surface read as. Praise of them and like look how fucking cool rorschach is but no rorschach is not fucking cool which is appropriate because we see this the video from the seventh cavalry with the cops sitting and watching it and i just think it's such an incredible dunk on fans of rorschach to have a group of alt-right weebs wearing rorschach masks and thinking they're you know, the coolest yeah. people in the world And quoting his lines directly at
1: them like they do, the whole, like, I'll whisper no and all the rest of it kind of. Well, it it
0: all comes across as, like, bad cosplay of Rorschach. Like, it rings true as, like, this sounds like Rorschach, but it sounds like if you or I tried to write Rorschach dialogue as opposed to the authentic thing. And it's, like, it's such a, like, great meta... Attack on those people that, like, to Alan Moore's consternation, still think Rorschach is a cool character. It's like, he may look cool, but it's very clear he's not supposed to be someone you should admire.
1: My favorite part of this, though, is the fact that, like, all the cops are watching in very similar getup. Like, you've got this Rorschach stuff coming on screen with this cosplayed Rorschach, and then it's just people in masks as well watching it, and like it's yeah. it's kind of pointing out. There's no difference between these two groups of people. They're both it's people nice. who've taken on this ideological bent. One thinks they're right. Mm-hmm. Well, both of them think they're right, and there's
0: there's, not, real, there's, there's no not, difference between them. Yeah, this town ain't big enough for the both of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, uh, we get a, a panda kind of like signing off and releasing the weapons. Yes. And then we get the end of this is the the sign off that they'll have 24 hours to kind of like use however much force they want, but not before Judd and Angela have a conversation about this man that she's got in the boot of her car.
0: I note that he is drinking from what looks like a night owl mug. And is this because Hollis Mason was a cop and he was the original night owl? So uh, they, he's got Under the Hood on his desk as well Oh does he, okay And I yeah. wondered if this is a cop thing in general That all the cops love a night owl Or if it's just he in particular loves night owl I, I, think, I think there's definitely some
1: some stuff you can trace that The fact that like they have an owl ship Yes, later
0: they, on in the they episode. have I didn't know if it was supposed to be the Archie Or just like a knockoff Archie I or think, what but... I think
1: the implication is in the series That, and this, this is only in the PGPD file So it's not really spoiling much But that At some point, Dan Driver gets captured and arrested. Yeah. And basically,
0: they use his designs and kind of give it to police officers. Right, so it's like a mass replica version. Yeah, Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, and then, oh my god, Looking Glass interrogating this dude. So weird, so fucking cool. I, On some level, I really hope that this Trent Reznor music is diegetic and, like, the dude is hearing it. (laughs) It's not just silent as, you know... He's in a pod where like every surface in this tiny little pod is like showing these this all these flashes of images and it's like, you know, it's all it's like the American flag and all these fields and just this, that, and the other while he's asking him all these questions and like there's a squid briefly, and do you think the government perpetrated a mass conspiracy? Do you know anyone associated with the Seventh Cavalry? How would you feel if I defecated on the American flag? And it's like Oh. what do you mean by defecate how would you feel <laughs> if i shit on the american flag <laughs> yeah and like they come out he comes away from it and he's like he's not going to talk but he's definitely guilty like all of the bias questions like his pupils or, or or something to that effect where it's like he's reading his body language and you know looking directly into you know seeing your own reflection as well as the reflection of all these flashing images when you're trying to like there's no eyes to find to lock onto. Like it's a very unnerving thing, and I'm not even sitting directly opposite him. But yeah. it's, it's just it's one of those moments where the show kind of set down a visual
1: language that's going to have like this is going to look different to what you would normally find yeah. on television and of course they walk out of this pod and he's just like yeah he's guilty he, yeah. he failed all these questions and so immediately it's like right well we're just gonna beat the shit out of him
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they sure do and i look forward to probably two more of these one of which gets subverted in some way where someone <laughs> kills him I, I i don't know but yeah uh, yeah and then they do this big Raid of the farm, and many cows die, and I'm Many sad. cows die.
1: This is this is like the big action set piece. You can tell this is like where HBO is putting the money down to kind of go like, right, what's this show going to look like? Even though they're not going to have the budget to do this every single episode, that thing to get the normals hooked.
0: Yes, the, the normies, and it's yeah. shooting cows with a Gatling gun uh, or a minigun or whatever. Yeah, sad. Resilient corpses though, so that's handy.
1: But again, this is this is where Resident Ross's score is so damn oh, yeah. good. Oh. Again, again, this is just it's just a good functional action scene that ends with Angela being a badass and mm. watching one of the 7th Cavalry kind of poison himself.
0: I don't know if it's actually calling back to or referencing, but, you know, uh, Ozymandias forcing the cyanide capsule on Roy Chess in, in the original. Also, does, do they have a dollar bill poster? In, they do, yeah. yeah they've got a dollar bill poster and they're, they're putting
1: batteries into a big bucket, which is yes. kind of the first hint at kind of what, is going on with the 7th Calvary in the background. Uh, I think later on we find out that the batteries are the decommissioned Dr. Manhattan batteries that everyone was scared was going to give them cancer.
0: Ah, um, oh, they're like lever- everlasting batteries or something.
1: Yeah, it's like one of those things where like they are, the, basically after the after Dr. Manhattan maybe gave people cancer, they kind of decommissioned all these old batteries and started building new yeah. batteries that weren't related to Dr. Manhattan. But the 7th Calvary are, no, are going after the old-fashioned ones that Dr. Manhattan made. Yeah. Which I, I believe Don Johnson calls a a cancer bomb in episode two, which is which is fun. Uh, but yeah, this 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 fight ends with the owl ship sending using the the flamethrower uh, kind of burn down a little biplane,
0: crashing, uh, yeah. and he's like, Woo Yeah,
1: just... and we end the scene with like, "Oh, what the fuck?" Which is uh, Regina King so good at saying, "What the fuck?" Yeah, she sure is. Okay. We're gonna skip over what the fuck moments, Jeremy Irons. I'm just gonna have Matt summarize that at the end, uh, and he's got to try and tell me what he thinks is going on. Okay.
0: Uh, no right, problem.
1: we cut to uh, the dinner party with um, uh, Angela um, and Judd
0: Don um, Johnson coked up singing Oklahoma <laughs> is wonderful <laughs> like uh, what I like is that this does so much work to kind of
1: enforce a friendship between these two and obviously they have a couple of scenes in episode two but they have an antagonist relationship at work she's pissed at him for not calling her in when this cop got shot mm-hmm. but they're still able to kind of put it aside and have this like nice normal dinner at the end of it, like, there is a bond there, and a friendship, which is is just nice, that they kind of do a lot of this, like, relationship shorthand, that there's something between these two that's kind of, like,
0: bound them together, for whatever reason. Yes, yeah, and, like, you know, he hugs yeah, and then he, he hugs her for a very long time, and it's, yeah, it's just a nice little, it's the kind of thing that, like, certain networks, I think, are like, take this out, this isn't important.
1: Yeah, this is is the kind of scene that when you're doing a 60-minute episode well, this is the kind of scene that you add in. It doesn't add much, but it adds character dynamic. And I feel like, especially with Netflix shows, a lot of them that go to that 60-hour mark, they don't have as much plot as this first episode has. Like, this is a really good economical pilot that has so much kind of world building and intrigue and information that isn't difficult to pass through and by the end of it you feel like you've been told a story
0: Hmm.
1: but yeah like the end of this they kind of have a conversation about like what on earth the 7th Cavalry are Judd goes home has a nightcap with his wife Uh, he gets a phone call telling him that the cop's woken up from being shot and that he's going to go to the hospital but um, there's a ticking
0: noise throughout this and they show you this family photo of ostensibly him and his father and like it's one of those photos that you see it and you're like hmm (laughs) and that'll all be very clear soon but like even before it happens there are huge you're going to your death vibes here like he is too famous to be in this show and i'm not saying it's bad i just you know on his on his way to this it's like well he's gonna fucking die like this is all very coded in that
1: yeah, I mean, like, this is the little finally getting do that, like, we wanted to kill Jack and the pilot of Lost. I
0: had that written, I was, in my mind, I was like, this is him finally making good on killing Michael Keaton. And then I forgot to write it down, so I'm glad you brought it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, obviously, like, Don Johnson, pro- like, probably, this show obviously has a lot of big stars. Like, you have Jeremy Irons, you have Gene Smart. You I know, don't have- yet,
0: but I'm looking forward to having James Smart.
1: <laughs> okay. This is this is fair. But like Don Johnson does kind of stick out like he's someone who normally plays a lead. He's also someone who had like a very good year in twenty nineteen because he has knives out as well. Yep. Where whilst he's not kind of like top five biggest people in that movie, oh, he's, he's still good, isn't
0: it, though? He's good. He's <laughs> very good.
1: Yeah. And then he ends up in the middle of nowhere, his car is Taken off the road by spike trails, we do get a little bit of the radio of a reference to Senator Keene's son running for president, which is which is fun. It's his um,
0: friend, isn't it? I think one of the P2Pedia things talks about how he was like a close friend of Judd and uh, Keene Junior. And his father is the one that passed the bill that made it illegal to be like a, a, a masked hero. And yes, presumably. Keen Jr. is the one that made it legal for cops to wear masks. Maybe Justin Tulsa, maybe everywhere. Who knows?
1: He he is Justin Oklahoma. Okay, I think is, is the kind of implication. Like he's a, a governor or he's the senator for Oklahoma. Yes, is the, the whole thing. Yeah, and then we cut away. This like bright shining light flashes on Judd, and we cut to an incredibly hot sex scene between Regina King and Yaya Abdul Mateen the second incredibly important to notice at this point that she is 16 years older than him which is a very refreshing yeah. age difference in these kind of things where normally it's the, the, the woman who's kind of 16 years younger than, yeah. than her co-star Yeah, um,
0: and you see his butt and you don't see hers so go yeah. laugh, go <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, all very good but then she gets a phone call telling her to come to this old oak tree she's a uh, fucking
0: shotgun in the headboard then <laughs> she does that's what, that's my only note. She has a fucking shotgun in the
1: headboard. She does. She pulls a, a little a handgun from in the chimney. Yes.
0: Uh, <laughs> Less cool, but still cool.
1: <laughs> Less cool. It gives it to him and then it's just like, yeah, protect the house. And then she goes and finds an incredibly visceral imagery. Judd strung up from this tree. One shoe falling off and the the crazy man from earlier on in the wheelchair sat underneath it with the kind of rope in his hand. Yes. Yes. Do you uh, believe
0: I can lift two hundred pounds? Because yeah. I ostensibly just did, motherfucker. Yeah,
1: uh, and then yeah. and then we have the the kind of the final image of the episode is is the blood dripping onto the onto his police badge, a, very reminiscent of the original, the first image of Watchmen with the the smiley face and the blood falling on the button.
0: It's yeah. a incredibly strong pilot. Yes, who killed the comedian? Who killed Judd? I assume that's where we're going here, where she is going to be trying to slowly unravel. I mean. She kind of knows who killed them, but maybe it's more how, and it yeah, will go off the exactly. rails. But and yeah, and the episode ends
1: with the the song with the title line of the episode from Oklahoma playing that that incredible line of like it's summer and we're running out of ice, which yes. doesn't make sense, but it's all about like the song is called Jud's Dead, uh, yes. I believe, from the original Oklahoma, which is a nice kind of like full circle nod to this.
0: Yeah. I like the what they do with the titles as well, uh, where they're sort of in the world a bit, and also they're like. The, the title of the show just watchmen that also seems to be so far reflecting whatever the first thing you see is because it's sort of presented in a silent film title card way here and then i forget how it is in the second one but oh it's like typed isn't it because you see mm. all the typewriters yeah I, I like i love a like a, a really extra treatment of the title cards of a show uh, i'm very into that i like presentation It's it's a very well thought out kind of show. Uh, And so
1: we then begin episode two, uh, Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship. Um, (laughs)
0: Another great one. Another another great great title.
1: title. Written by returning duo Dave Lindelof and Nick Hughes uh, of International Assassin fame. And The Um, Hunt. (laughs) And The Hunt, which has been released now, and directed by Nicole Castle again. I think notably, this is a bit of a a downturn from that first episode. I think most because it's kind of got to pick up a lot of the pieces that they kind of knocked off the board in the first episode. Hmm. Like, like, I'm not saying it's a bad episode, but it's definitely one of those ones that's like, right, we've done the pilot. We've done the kind of a lot of the shorthand for this world. We now have to kind of build up what the story is going to be. Yeah, Reiterate some of those points. Like you, most shows will have like a second pilot. And this is very much that kind of, it, it's a two parter. And I think I said to you, like this show is nine episodes long so we had to make a decision: do we start with episode one on its own, or do episode nine on its own? And I just think episode two makes more sense being bundled with episode one than doing episode eight and nine together.
0: Yeah, it feels incredibly necessary to. These two seem very linked to each other; like it's literally happening in the in the moments after the first one. I do think one is better, but I wouldn't say that viewing it, I was like, oh, that wasn't as good. Like I was, I was still very into it
1: no no yeah no,
0: it's still a good episode of television i
1: just think there's something special about that pilot episode that the second episode kind of like just is impossible for it to kind of like maintain well um, lindelof and, brings up with his pilots so yes he does he's he's very good at his pilots but yeah much like episode one opened with that discombobulating 1921 Tulsa, oklahoma scene we cut to world war one germany Yes, and um, you
0: know it's World War One because they're pretending they like black people. <laughs> I was like, this definitely isn't World War Two because there's no way. Uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of like carpet-bombing black soldiers with letters being like, hey, they hate you in America, come fight with us, and it's yeah, it's a really yeah. good little
1: moment. Yeah, and we find out that that piece of paper that fell on a soldier in World War One mm-hmm. belonged to the father of Will from episode one and is what he wrote the note that says, take care of this boy on the back of. And it's like his one keepsake from his father is this, the Germans will take care of you. And like he's reading the note as the episode begins as you see Angela pull up from a different angle and walk up the hill to see, see Judd's body.
0: And it was it's very like... Right, there's no way that Will is that kid from the beginning. He would be 100 years old, and he even says, I'm 105. (laughs) And it's like, oh, all right, then. If he does have psychic powers, as he claims to, then...
1: Yeah, because she she takes him hostage, takes him to her bakery, uh, her secret... Super, superhero hideout, I guess, is, like, what it's supposed to be, yeah, handcuffs yeah, the him... The Owl Cave. <laughs> the Owl Cave, handcuffs him to, to something and makes him a cup of coffee, and they have this kind of, like, long conversation which he hints that he's got psychic powers, he says that he's Doctor in Manhattan. And you they get...
0: have this debate about whether he can make yeah. himself look like a person, and he's like, well, he can make copies of himself, he can be two places at once, he can make himself 100 foot tall, he can change his skin colour, why can't he? And, you know, we, we talked about different interpretations of Watchmen in our first episode, and notably in Doomsday Clock, the the DC-written sequel. Dr. Manhattan can make himself look like a person, but that's not canon.
1: Yeah, and it's just kind of quite fun. We get this mysterious kind of bottle of pills on the side that he says he needs for his memory, which, like, the show kind of puts a bit to focus on, but not too
0: much. I will take that as a cue from you that I should pay more attention to that, because (laughs) I was just like, oh, yeah, he had pills, whatever. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) I will say there is a fun episode involving the
1: pills, but that's about as far as I'll go with that. Um, um, we get the very fun line, which they use in the trailers of, there is a vast and insidious conspiracy, which is like, yes. <laughs> Louis Gossett Jr. saying that is just, just fun because he's a very good actor.
0: He is. Um, You're right. I liked the, the Easter egg of the, uh, the kissing couple burnt into the wall uh, that yes. R- Rorschach walked past repeatedly in the book. We get both... You see New Frontiersmen and they mention Overexpress, I believe, which are the, the right and left wing...
1: Yeah, we get this very explicit reference to the newspaper vendor in, in Watchmen. This time both of them are black rather than just one of them. Mm. But the the newspaper guy is played by Robert Wisdom, who obviously famous for playing Bunny in the Wire. It's a small role but it's a kind of fun one. You can tell that they've got like, the HBO family and they can just pull these random <laughs> actors in uh, when they need to. We get our first meeting uh, with a character who's going to be very important, Jan, uh who shows up to kind of pick up papers for someone who the, the newspaper vendor kind of asks, like, does she really
0: read them all? And she's like, yeah, she does, every day. I did see in the, like, description when I got the show, it says and somebody as mysterious trillionaire, and I was like, oh, okay, that's probably that. Look yeah. forward to meeting them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah, they, they're they kind of like one of those characters who's,
1: like, recurring over the season. It, I forgot this scene happened in this episode on rewatch and I was like oh cool that's fun they're they're seeding this but also it meant nothing to me at first that this character showed up at this point and had this conversation it's a very nondescript scene that's kind of more devoted to setting up what's coming later um, I kind of wish I
0: didn't read that blah 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 plays eccentric Asian trillionaire because now (laughs) I, I feel I've had my hat tipped there but oh well uh, yeah, there, there's more context in later.
1: After Angela kind of takes the coffee cup and puts it in a plastic bag, obviously to get some kind of DNA test, uh, she goes off to the crime scene that she's called into of, of Judd being found that morning because she left him strung up.
0: Having to uh, pretend she didn't know because she's yeah. like, "Oh my god, that's terrible," and it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then she shows
1: up and sits in the car, and then obviously Looking Glass kind of climbs into the seat next to her, mm. looking the most fucking Rorschach that he does.
0: Which he is, is great. so Rorschach here when like she says my kids were there because he's like you know oh was he more than drunk and she's like yeah he might have done some coke And he's like oh it's a hell of a party then and she's like oh my kids were there and he goes your kids and she says yeah. fuck you and it's like that, that struck me as a very rorschach type thing to say it's also the
1: fact that he asks for food and starts eating food during this conversation uh-huh. and it's just this mysterious back and forth you can tell they kind of don't fully trust one another and they're kind of like both are like hmm someone got murdered let's He's, he's kind of accusing everyone. He wants to get a feel on what everyone's allegiances are. Yeah,
0: and I was also like, not for a second should you think he didn't spot that there's a coffee cup and an evidence bag. <laughs> like, I, I get the sense that like, he is effective because he suspects everyone all the time, but that also makes him an asshole who no one wants to be friends with. So. Yeah,
1: and then the scene is rudely interrupted by a bunch of journalists wearing Mothman outfits yes. falling onto the cart, which is another one of those fun explicit references to the comic book where yeah. this technology is used by everyone, and so obviously the tabloid journalists are going to be using it to like, fly around. Yeah.
0: Can I say at this point, Red Scare is a hell of a name for a and, Red Scare is a
1: great name. Andrew Howard, who's also a regular, but much like all the, the police officers on the force. They're not really fleshed out across the series. Like they're more like people who they got on contract in the first episode that don't really build to the story. You can tell who the the main actors are yes. in a couple of episodes, but uh, he does have this fantastic line when he's like punching this journalist in the face and they call him a Nazi and he goes, "I'm not a Nazi. I'm a communist."
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's. I kind of in some ways think it's good that they're not fleshed out because they're like this. They are like short-handed world building as these cardboard cutouts of characters and. Yeah, he's great. And, like, you're just left to wonder, I don't know if we'll ever find out, but, like, is this dude authentically Russian? Is he putting on the accent as, like, a further part of his disguise? Like, you know, who knows?
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's, like, all the stuff that they reference in the Ptpedia files that, like, there's burgers and borscht that you can buy now, and, like, there's a lot of Russian culture that's kind of, like, subtly infiltrating because of this allegiance that... Uh, That America and uh, Russia have there's less antagonism because everyone's scared of this inter- extra dimensional being or how they want it's to sad. refer to it.
0: Oh, it's called like the EDBD or something. I cut yeah, something yeah. like that, and then the event is called the DIE, the dimensional incursion event. event. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now from there, we flash back to the White Knight. Oh, it's so grim. Like <laughs> when she's talking about it, you can kind of get an idea about what might have happened. And then in the middle of this, just lovely. Flirtatious scene between them, Angela and her husband dancing. Uh, again, I've written down "Yaya so hot." He's oh my so notes. hot yeah. This is like the third time I've written this. <laughs> was it when he said, "When that hits midnight, I'm gonna unwrap that," or whatever? It's yeah. just like, okay, I know what you're saying, but yeah, and like in the middle of this, I was like, "Oh fuck, it's Christmas!" That's what White Night means. And then, sure enough, yeah, the the Seventh Cavalry on Christmas Eve or at the stroke of midnight on Christmas, fucking it's so horrible to watch this like seeing her get shot down and like we come out of this not knowing how she survived it because like Judd is like oh you got him or whatever but it's like no she is being stood over and I don't know how she got out of this and maybe I'll find out but maybe you will maybe I will (laughs) but like it's just one
1: of those things where the guy breaks in and he gets Calvin in the face with the butt of the gun Mm. and like he's on the floor and she stabs him in the neck with a knife and the second one comes in shoots her in the gut and just, it's it's brutal. Uh,
0: And like, it is made all the worse by like, how lovely the two of them are as a couple in the moments before that. And again, it's the kind of thing where some networks would have trimmed this for time, but no, show me like, two uninterrupted minutes of these two just being... A couple with good chemistry, you know. Like, I mean, yeah, that thing is like this.
1: Yaya, like most famous, really at this point for playing, like he he had a couple of movies. He was in like the Get Down. He's in Baywatch, Great Showman, but like he also got to play in another DC work, Black Manta in Aquaman, mm-hmm. where he's not the best served villain in that movie. But no, it's still, I, like, felt, a I felt
0: bad for him because I'm like, you're supposed to be like the coolest fucker in the world, and they've made you look like a punk. But like, I'm glad you're set up for bigger. But-
1: yeah, that's the but it's just it's just quite a fun non-script thing where he's just playing the husband like in yeah. in the way that HBO shows are quite famous for having the wife character like wow. there is the wife in the Sopranos there's like it's it's a well-known anti-hero kind of thing and in this show with the black female lead they've cast like someone who's big but obviously not Oscar winner Regina King big to play yeah. the nondescript husband character it's but just, he's it's... like
0: recognisable as like a name for the future that, yeah. doubtedly, people are going to stumble all over. But it's still a name.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you can tell he's someone who's excited to work with, like, Damon Loth. Like, he was the one who'd always, on, like, a Sunday, when the show was airing, be, like, live-tweeting, and kind of going, like, oh, God, I love this show, I love this role, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. It's just, like, I like his enthusiasm, because the role really is, like, he's just the husband.
0: Yeah, and I think I saw something. He got an award, or, or he, he was bigged up for something, and, like, someone else in the show was, like hugely happy for him and like you get the sense that like he is all in on this and like he relished playing this and really bonded with everyone and yeah like they have incredible chemistry and as I said like seeing them just be a nice authentic couple together and then this just horror show of you learn from the ptpedia files there are three survivors of this so and I think Judd says they broke into 40 cops homes so 37 cops were killed is yeah. the math there
1: and and obviously like the the kind of I don't I don't know who the third survivor is I, it might be mm. it, it's hard to say whether or not it, it's Cal or it's Judd's wife whether or not they're including those in this list of survivors but it's definitely the thing that kind of makes Judd and Angela close
0: is, yes we is made kind
1: of, we made it through this <laughs> yeah and they're kind of like the the foundational parts of the the police force going forward and it's what causes the the laws be passed that the police can wear masks. Judd the only one being that, like, he wears a cowboy hat but he doesn't hide his face because yes. he still need
0: some... That was sort of a question in my mind while watching it, of like, does he wear a mask? Is it known that he's police? And then I read in the in the article that, like, there was an agreement when they let them wear masks that leadership still had to maintain visibility, and I'm like, surely this is a very bad idea because, I don't know, maybe it's like, this person is too well known for you to go after but then he was a captain at this point and he became the chief because they ostensibly killed the chief last time. So I'm like, surely it's a terrible, terrible idea for this. And also, like, I wondered, like, if they moved or something, because, like... But they clearly didn't, because this only happened here. But she is very clearly black, even when wearing her disguise. Mm. And, like, I feel it would be pretty easy to put together that, like, she survived and that she is Sister Knight, but... I'll I'll let them do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then we go to uh, more police brutality as the police decide <gasps> they're gonna descend upon on Nixonville and kind of just beat the shit out of all the people who live there. Angela kinda of says that she's a bit hesitant to do it, and Red Scare kinda of says to her, You don't want to beat the shit out of these fucks. You, you always want to beat the shit. Out of the shit
0: out of... these fucks. Yeah. yeah, this is like your moment where <laughs> I feel this is a thing that has to happen in an HBO show, your protagonist is actually flawed, because her letting this happen knowing that no one here did it. Or, I mean, she still is dubious of Will's story, but I think she's like, I'm not participating because I know they didn't do it, but she allows it to go ahead because she can't really stop them. But then when she is directly confronted by one of them... Like, when they come at her, she beats the ever-loving fuck out of him because she is venting her grief all over his face. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a great moment where she won't engage, and, like, Looking Glass, I think, would have noticed that she wasn't getting involved as well. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. The giant Nixon statue as well. Yeah. They, they threatened to pull down. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. And then Angela goes and takes the cut that she's got in her car to... A museum devoted to kind of the the destruction that happened in Tulsa in 1921, in which they've got these little booths set up that allow you to take a DNA test and see whether or not you are owed money because of this terrible thing that happened henry lewis gates playing himself who's kind of like quite a famous professor and literary critic in oh, america playing the secretary of the treasury um <laughs> in this doing this speech where she puts the, the cup in but like there's a whole lot of stuff here that adding context this is what red for mean this is yes. money that the government feels is owed to black people in this culture for generations of trauma and they talk about generational trauma here where it's like this event doesn't stop in nineteen twenty one The harm that happened to African Americans and people of color in this country mm. uh, over over years and generations has a, a a systemic following that happens over many many generations like this one person losing all their money means that this next person in the next generation isn't able to do the stuff that they want to do or yeah. maybe there's some kind of like PTSD that's just passed down
0: and yeah and like this is <sighs> yeah you're like destroying a future and there are people outside protesting and being like oh equal rights equals equal taxes because presumably these reparations are tax-free uh, they should be anyway and that's what <laughs> i read from that and like this is very much how this happens where like you get these horrifically ignorant people who are like oh you know racism got solved 50 years ago when you got civil rights and it's like you are not understanding the like Cyclical nature and like the long term ramifications of stuff and the kind of poverty trap that a lot of black people are born into and stuff like this and like, yeah, it's really good stuff. And it's like, you fully understand. I mean, it's awful, but you it, it, it rings true that there are a group of white people who are fucking furious, and are like, why don't I get any fucking money? Why do not yeah, I why, get money?
1: <laughs> why don't I get the handouts? Like They see it as a handout. They've done nothing. It's like, no, yeah. you did something, your grandfather or your great grandfather did something and took yes. something away from these people, yeah. and they are owed it back yeah. in some way. And the PTPD is quite a fun one because they have... The lawyer in the O.J. Simpson case be the person who's presenting. Yes,
0: uh, Johnny Cochran.
1: Yeah. Johnny Cochran, which is like one of those fun. Like they take a lot of real-world names and kind of like plug them in. Like uh, I think Ezra Klein is the the press secretary of the White House, which is another one in the PTPD files.
0: Yeah, like this. And the favorite thing with this kind of thing is to be like, "Oh, that was a million years ago. Get over it." And it's like, "You fucking get over it. <laughs> like you're not the one who's the victim. Why don't you fucking shut the fuck up?"
1: And then Angela goes home. And has this kind of, like, very stilted conversation with her, with Topher, about, like, how Judd's died. Yes. Uh, which, is, which is kind of, like, her kind of like introducing the idea of death. And obviously Topher's very much, like, he's a cop, cops die. Like, it's just this kind of, yeah. like, very nihilistic kind of, like, this and- is the life cycle of, of police officers.
0: Yeah, and she's very, like... Look, most people think this and think that, you know, think the world is fair, but you and I know different. I remember what happened to my parents. You remember what happened to your parents. So she, she straight shoots with him. And it's, like, it's it's really uncomfortable to see, but, like, it is also, like... I think she's treating him as an adult in some ways. And, like, you get the sense that no one has favourites, but Topher is probably her favourite of the children. And, mm-hmm. But probably because there is that bond of, like, he is old enough to understand it in a way that maybe the younger two siblings were a little bit too young when it happened to really understand. And also, like, I love that you can put together what happened here. Whereas, like, you know, that these are Doyle's kids, you know? And because Judd says about, you know, she asks about Doyle when she wakes up, and Doyle is her partner, and this, that, and the other. And, like, they don't outright tell you that this man outside is, like, the biological grandfather or or great-uncle or, you know, something like that but you can just put it together and it's like i love when shows trust an audience to make these connections that nobody has to say since you adopted these three children from your dead partner doyle but you you just get it and yeah and i like his little floating magnetic castle yeah
1: which which is (laughs) looks very similar to what dr manhattan was building on mars in episode Uh one (laughs) it also looks very similar to where a certain a certain unnamed individual is in scenes that we have not yet touched upon Uh Um, (laughs) But that's that's some like fun little stuff that we can maybe talk about. But like, it's just like it's just a magnetic thing that he's building. It's like this version of Lego. It's what would happen in the world without technology, or like where certain technologies accelerate. It's like well, they're just building Lego magnets essentially.
0: Yeah, and um, it's floating off the ground a bit. Yeah, and then we've had it teased all through
1: episode one. We get our first shot of American Hero story in the like- second season covering the Minutemen. Uh, Season 1 was all about Rorschach, apparently, as you find out the P2P files. But yeah, this is an explicit kind of riff on the Ryan Murphy shows of, like, American crime story and American uh, horror story, in, like, each season's focus on a different thing. But also, this is the most Watchmen-ass Zack Snyder shit in the show.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the narration is like the movie Rorschach narration as well, where it's like, some of the lines are the same, and, like, Jackie L. Hurley is playing it well, it's just... Some of the delivery and the direction is like is making him come across as like a faux cool guy kind of thing, and I took it all as a reference to Minutemen because like you see him like there's a there's a body of like a circus strongman floating and it's like yeah this is blah 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 Moolah I need them to think it's me and like we covered this uh, Darwin Cook written prequel series uh, you know uh, before Watchmen Minutemen and within that the comedian killed. This circus strongman who he thought was Hooded Justice, but was clearly too old to be Hooded Justice, and then blah 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 happens, and like, in this we see this body is here, and the person who is playing Hooded Justice is like, but that's not me. And then we see this horrifically violent moment, and like, yeah, it feels like an Ida and everything, and... You know, it may not have been a reference to that, but it it very much reminded me of that Minutemen comic. And yeah, you
1: know, I think a lot of the stuff they're pulling from is in that kind of like the first issue, like the stuff sort of in is straight from under the hood. But you could definitely like see some, like, they're building a mythos there with him being assassinated by someone else. Like, they don't believe that Mueller was was hooded
0: justice. And and we said how, like, none of these are canon, but if any of them has a shot at being canon, it's this Minutemen story. So to me, it sort of read like that. I was also quite disturbed to read in the article you sent me that Lindelof is basically friends with Zerk Snyder, so he's, (laughs) he's giving a very... Dancing around the answer, answer when asked about the movie and how like he was shown an early cut, and he's like, "Oh, I can't possibly have an opinion because I saw such an early version of it." And it's like, "Just say you didn't like it, and it's fine." I think I think it's like he knows Zack Snyder. Obviously, like
1: they were both, uh, they're probably both invited to the Warner Brothers stuff at very similar times. Uh-huh. Like they probably run in similar circles. It's like I don't want to say anything disparaging about someone else <laughs> who also had like a tough time adapting this piece of work. And like you yeah. sent me the quote where he goes. Zack Snyder's Watchmen is potentially the best filmed version of it that we could possibly have.
0: Yeah, but it's just fundamentally unfilmable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Uh, it it should have been a a series like this. It just did not ever lend itself to, like, a tight runtime or anything like that. I, I really like about this as well, that, like, you see different people watching it and, like, going into their homes while they're watching it and everything, and the Peterpedia file, like, warns, like, hey, this show is coming, everyone be on alert for, like, activity and everything, and Yeah, I look forward to potentially seeing more people watching it, and I like the overly long warning that comes at the beginning of it. It's so
1: good. Like, you get the kind of standard one that's like, there's sex, there's violence, blah blah blah, and then it's just like, misogyny, and racism, and like, oh, these are things that we don't warn against. Like, this is essentially trigger warnings, and, like, maybe overly detailed, but it is still very much like, here are the things that this show does that we do not condone.
0: It feels also like a potential light jab at liberalism as well, like, if there were a liberal in charge, you'd end up with, like, everything's got a warning label on it, but yeah. then I also think that there is a discussion to be had about, we warn people about incredibly explicit things, but we never warn anyone about, like, more subtle stuff, and, like... Yeah, the
1: things that could cause, like, trauma or yeah. anything like that, like, something, something happened to you in your life, and that they don't warn about...
0: Yeah, and, like, might... we, you can... There are plenty of things that skirt under an, a certain age rating, but are still very violent or disturbing or offensive or what what have you but they managed to leave out the explicit part so yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, but it's
1: fun though. That it's... it's interesting because it's almost like it, it's not quite the level where it's like you're watching something and like warning there are clowns in this for people who have a fear of clowns it's yeah. not that level of where this goes to but it's gone a touch too far from what trigger warning should be potentially Yeah, yeah. and then the show ends with kind of like again the over the top kind of dialogue and you get hooded justice saying in the show go like if i knew who i was i wouldn't be wearing a fucking mask as <laughs> as you see angela driving to to this wake for for judd at his yeah. his family home where like she pretends to faint and is taken upstairs by his wife and this is kind of like sudden hospitality thing <laughs> you get to meet senator Keene jr who's played by james walk most famous for playing bob benson in Mad Men, mm-hmm. not great bob etc etc I will make sure Matt puts that gif in the in the episode.
0: Yeah, you sent me that and I politely didn't comment on it because I didn't know what the fuck it was. But You, okay. need, to watch Mad- you need to watch Mad Men, Matt. I will look- never watch Mad Men. Wow. I have had someone who has been asking me to watch Mad Men for literally a decade, or maybe not, I don't know when Mad Men started. And I just I just won't. It just looks so thoroughly unappealing to me. Uh, oh, I think you'd love it. It'd be it be crazy if you came out and goes like, oh god, it's my favourite show. <laughs> Mad Men Goods. Yeah, and then
1: Angela runs around this house, busts out some light owl goggles to look around. Cool investigation
0: music, cool like not quite Rorschach in issue one, investigating silently, but, you know, somewhere in that weird I mean, house. I mean, they literally end in the same place
1: where she finds the costume and finds a revelation about someone that she didn't know, except it's the opposite around. It's like, here's the costume for someone that she thought she knew, as opposed to this is the identity for someone that Rorschach thought he knew. Mm. Except instead of it being the comedian outfit, it's a KKK robe belonging to her longtime friend, <sighs> who is also very white while she's black.
0: Yes,
1: uh, related to the fact that like Will told her that this man has skeletons in his closet,
0: and then he's like, "I didn't mean a literal closet." And then it's like, <laughs> well, what did you know then? Yeah, I, I don't want to like disparage certain aesthetics and lifestyles and whatnot, but like that photo in episode one that screamed, "There's a white supremacist in this family." <laughs> Uh, yeah, wild to see that KKK. Outside, yeah, and with and a sheriff's like, badge on it.
1: Yeah, well. and yeah. like you could debate whether or not we're we're asking about like, do we think Judd's a member of the KKK? Do we think it's one of those things where like people in southern states of America will hold on to family keepsakes because it's a family keepsake, family's important. Like, but I'm ashamed but, of it, so I will hide it away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that kind of thing where it's, the people who who still think that the Confederate flag is something to be proud of is like, well, they're my ancestors; they must have been correct. Uh. I don't. I I'm not racist but I'm still going to wield this flag because it's a part of my my history it's it's that kind of question and obviously there's a lot of stuff devoted to the ideas of sheriffs like this is deeply in contrast to the Bass Reed stuff that opened episode 1 where it's like this black sheriff who becomes the uh, basis for the Lone Ranger uh, who is very very white and it's that kind of like inverse here where it's like a sheriff who might be a member of the KKK all very fun again we're skipping the stuff with Jeremy Irons, so Matt can describe it to me at the end of this.
0: No problem. Uh, you and sick we get, freak. The, <laughs>
1: and we get the the long kind of final sequence of Angela confronting Will with the KKK
0: ropes. Yeah, I like that he he freed himself, went over the road, got food, and came back. <laughs> yeah, he's not going anywhere. Like she didn't need to handcuff him. He just wants to have a conversation with her about yeah. what's
1: going on. Yeah,
0: you know, because she's like, "Did you put it here?" And he's like, "I can't go upstairs." And it's like, "You just claimed you hung a man with your mind." <laughs> Like, yeah, and while they're having this conversation, she gets the phone call from the, the civic centre or the, the service, and they're like, You have, I don't, do they say two living relatives?
1: Yes, we, we found two descendants and two, two ancestors. Yes, is what they say. So, like, you have someone who is related to you. Yeah, I thought I heard the number two, but I might be. Yeah, it, it's basically, we know your parents and yeah. we know your child. And whichever kind of parent that is to Angela. Right. I
0: think it's the implication there. Gotcha. And she has to say the name for them to confirm. And she's clearly put it together herself. She says her own name and they confirm he is her grandfather and he has that piece of paper. We know that he's the, the boy from the opening of the pilot,
1: but... Yeah she finds this World War One propaganda floating down from, from the sky, because, yeah, she takes him outside because she wants to take him to the police to get him checked <laughs> oh, out. Yeah. And then a UFO comes by, drops a giant fucking magnet on top of her car, and just lifts it away.
0: I have friends in higher places. <laughs> Literally, yeah, there you go. And he gives yeah. a little smirk to her as well, I think. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's great, because he doesn't give anything away. It's that kind of mystery box storytelling that J.J. Abrams is very famous for, but it's so heightened and weird like he doesn't like she keeps asking who are you who are you she figures out by the end of the episode but all he tells her is like i'm the man who strung up your chief of police yeah
0: and he's um, like you're not paying attention i've told you everything you know i can only tell you this if i told you everything it would blow your mind i have to tell you in small bits and she's like you haven't told me anything he's like i have you're just not listening yeah so interesting and that,
1: that's episode two ends on the classic regina king what the fuck as we go in, as we go into, uh, I think it's a Beastie Boys mashup to end the episode. Yes,
0: indeed. But the bit we've been skipping over—we've
1: been skipping over. Matt will be describing the plot of Jeremy Irons' scenes wherever he is doing whatever he's doing. Matthew, please.
0: Jeremy Irons, who is very clearly Ozymandias. Yeah,
1: I mean, I w- let's not beat around the bush. Like the show doesn't reveal it for a, a couple of episodes, but he's Adrian Veek.
0: They denied it in the like people were saying, oh, is he Asimandius? And they were like, no, 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 no. And it was like, of course he fucking is. Um, <laughs> Who else would he play in this? I know. Uh, it, it's probably my
1: least favourite part of a mystery box storytelling, is that it's just like, I don't. they never say he's not, and they never play it like he's not, and yeah. like even when they do the final revelation of like, oh, he's Asimandius, it's not like fucking Khan in, in Star Trek <laughs> Into Darkness, where it's like, the character does this line like, I'm Khan, solely for the audience to yeah, react. Yeah, yeah. And the character's like, who the fucks can't like yes. they don't even do that i, I hate that movie yes. <laughs> i i know
0: <laughs> written by david Lindelof, I believe it, it is written by david <laughs>
1: Lindelof, but yeah, like, when the show does finally get around to telling you that that jeremy islands is indeed playing ozymandias from Watchmen, yes. it's more subtle unless this requires your knowledge of who this person is
0: yes. so he has a big castle probably yep. in england and he goes for a big horse ride, and that makes his thighs sore, so he gets a rubdown <laughs> from one of his maids, and he's very naked, and <laughs> typing away. And writing gets, a play. He's writing a play about Dr. Manhattan, uh, the watchmaker's son, should be clear before you see what it is, but obviously, maybe not for everyone. And he has these two servants, he has a, he has a man and a woman, and they get him a birthday cake, And it's clearly horrible. It's not a birthday cake. It's an anniversary cake. Anniversary cake. Anniversary of what you did, I assume. Yes, anniversary cake. It's clearly very horrible. He asks for a knife, they hand him a horseshoe. It's, I. My first thought was they're robots But then he in the second episode Has them put on a play Or he tells them he wants them to star in his play And then you see them in the play And he's like, you know, real tears tonight and everything And they ostensibly have the anniversary every day Or something like that No, no, it, it,
1: each episode is a year between them In these scenes, so in oh, between episode shit. one And episode two, it's been a year
0: Oh, okay, right That's why
1: there's two candles on the top of the cake This is the oh, second anniversary, okay. episode two
0: the Second, But then Ah! what's that anniversary of then because oh maybe the first and second anniversary of you disappearing i don't know because yeah they put on the play a a very badly acted play and i always think it must be fun to try and act badly and challenging actually to act badly in a way that is i don't know there must be a it seems like the kind of thing anyone could act badly but i think there is an art to it and they, they do really well here and you know, he burns him for real. <laughs> yeah, like, the
1: play ends with him setting Mr. Phillips on fire.
0: Yes, and then a <laughs> naked blue man descends from the ceiling wearing a fencing mask <laughs> uh, with his big blue cock, and, yeah, then it's revealed that they... You know, there's also someone, like, playing the music, and then, like, there's all these people, and they all They've take They've all off. got, like, bags over their head. Yes, they all take them off, and every one of them is the same man and the same woman. And... So, not robots, because they take the corpse out and it is burnt like a person would be, uh, because they have to get the watch back for the next rehearsal. The Peterpedia, I think, tips the hat to this, because it says how Ozymandias was ruined when people no longer cared about electric cars, but then he made his money back through various technologies, including pet cloning. So I am assuming he's cloning some people... Or maybe it's like, it works on pets because they don't have higher intelligence, but he's trying to get it right with real people. And that's why they're big, big dum-dums who don't know the difference between a knife and a horseshoe. So I think Ozymandias is doing some weird cloning thing. He's trying to perfect human cloning. And it's, I guess, the one and two year anniversary of when he disappeared. Okay. That's that's my thoughts. That's your thoughts. Because it can't be the one and two year anniversary of the big event, because then he would be 40 years younger. So, yeah, I just okay. He went missing in 2012. He's been missing for seven years, so they've declared him dead. And Agent P.T. is like, we shouldn't declare him dead because then the 7th Cavalry will come back and be angry again. And look what fucking happened. <laughs> so, Yeah, it, it the, these scenes are fun.
1: It, it's Tom Meeson as Mr. Phillips and Sarah Vickers as Mr. Crookshanks both having a whale of a time. You can tell this is exactly the kind of fun thing you want to do. These scenes are so incongruous yes. in every single Oh, episode. Oh,
0: my favourite. He's growing tomatoes on trees. For no fucking reason. There's nothing wrong with how tomatoes grow, but when you're the smartest person in the world, why the fuck wouldn't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just a lot of fun. I like that the scenes are probably the most fun yeah. in this show, and they're like the height of weirdness as mm. well. Whenever you cut to this, you're like, what the fuck is going on this week? So, so yeah, so your thoughts on episode one and episode two of Watchmen before we wrap
0: up. Oh, very, very good. Very intrigued. It's very gripping. It is very my shit. Like, I love what they're doing with the alternate world history and the and the racial tensions and all this stuff. And I love the character designs. I love Looking Glass. I love Sister Knight. I'm very into it. Episode one was better, but I, I thought two was good as well. And I look forward to where we go from here. And, and I'm really, really, really can't wait for Gene Smart to show up. Peterpedia confirms that Dan and Laurie got captured at some point. Dan is still in custody. Laurie has taken on Blake's last name and is an agent of the FBI now. And also she briefly uh, was the comedienne. Because, you know, we end Watchmen and they've, like, fucked off to live a normal life but apparently they did do a bit more superheroing and she changed her identity from Salt spector to comedian and yeah i guess they broke up because it'd be awful awkward if she i i guess she sold him out to become an fbi agent who knows maybe he did something i don't know but yeah i really can't wait for her to show up
1: so yeah next week on nothing ever ends we finally get to meet agent laurie Blake. we also get to meet the mysterious lady true in episode three and four this is fun. I'm very much looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, I am enjoying this a lot, and I'm glad we're watching this. And do you know if there's going to be a series two of this? Because... Lindelof has pretty explicitly come out and says he doesn't have an idea for season two.
1: Uh, um, okay. He has said he has. they have his blessing to do a season two with someone else running it. Right. But I don't think... I mean, everything HBO are doing at the moment seems to imply that like they're very happy to let this run as a mini series like it's being submitted to the emmys as a limited event series it's it like the kind of things. thing
0: that like it could have a long gap between series potentially if they can get people back if they even want to do it like that unless they, like maybe they want to do an anthology but
1: yeah <laughs> we're having fun it's yes. good i've had fun i haven't got of a sign of yet yeah, i was thinking maybe going like tick tock tick tock that seems a bit kind of rorschachy
0: hmm the podcast never ends.
1: The podcast never ends, and then and we then do two the hours, hours of silence. Yeah. <laughs> two hours <laughs> of silence. <Yeah. laughs>
0: All right, farewell. See you guys next week. Bye, everyone.